up in a home that was broken home, a blended family, uh, parents, mom and dad married several times. And for the most part, uh, there were five of us all part of the, the first family, five kids, and then three a part of this, the, the stepkids. So basically there were eight kids poking around in the house at some point or another. And, and in that process, it was, uh, it was, I, was, I was right in the middle of it all, right? So middle kid syndrome right here, right? So I had to get the middle of eight because I was bigger than the other one, right? So I, I'm right in the middle of the whole thing. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I made it clearly. If you see any of our family pictures, you would know that I am like, I look like them, but I'm much larger, right? In fact, you look at our family pictures, I look like Shrek. <laughs> just like, look at the big one in the middle, right? <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but I look like them, and I'm just bigger. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I always told my brother, who's much shorter than I am, and uh, I was telling this, I was God's judgment upon you. <laughs> you were mean to me, right? Come on. I grew up in a household where um, compliments weren't thrown around real, 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 uh, real easily. In fact, I was grown in a house, grew up in a house where compliments were not thrown around at all. In fact, we were, we were sarcastic, we were jokey, we were snide. A lot of things were kind of weird. In fact, I, 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 can't remember, I can't remember being told by my dad that he was proud of me. I don't even know if I can remember him telling me he loved me. But I can, I can remember him telling me things that he, that he thought of me. He didn't think I was that smart. In fact, he told me often he thought I was stupid. He thought, I, you know, you're dumb. You, you clearly missed the line for brains, Lance. You know, I, I'd hear that often. It's a rough way to grow up, guys. You know what I'm talking about? It's a rough way to, to, to navigate life when, when, when your whole foundation is just the opposite of what it should be. And, and now being a daddy of three kids who have all grown and moved out of my house, I'm telling you, I don't know how, it, I'll tell you, I have the coolest kids ever. In fact, my, my daughter-in-law, you don't care about this, I'm sure, she's right now currently running the New York Marathon. She's running, right? And so I have a little app on my phone where I can track her. And so I've been tracking Mackenzie the whole time. She's like at mile number 19 right now. Jesus, be with Mackenzie, right? So um, poor little thing. Her little legs, man, she's, she's not my size. She's this size. I mean, so she, she's just going for it. Anyway, I, I love her. She's amazing. Some of you grew up in that same household. Some of you grew up not being encouraged, not being told you're smart. I, in, in grade school, I remember getting my report cards home, and the report cards would th- say things like this. Lance is a pleasure to have in class. Very social. Right? <laughs> Should focus a little more. Right? <laughs> Pretty much me. Some of you grew up with the same thing. And it's hard oftentimes when you grow up with that as the foundation to, to turn the corner and begin to say, wait a minute, who am I really? Right? Who, who is it that I'm supposed to be? Because we spent so much time hearing what someone else told us we were. You see, my fear is, is that so many of us grew up in a world where you heard that a lot. Whether it was your parents, whether it was your friends or not friends or just the environment around you, that you'll never be enough. You'll always be this way. You're never going to get out of that. You're always going to be this, whatever it is. And for some reason, you fought this message in your brain for a long time. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that the time is done. It's been long enough. It's time for us to grow up into that, that truth that God says who we are, and we begin to walk in it. This morning, I want to start a series entitled Grow. Four little letters, G-R-O-W. I want to call it grow. I call it grow because uh, grow is this funny word. Grow is a word that has motion to it. 
Grow is a word that, that, that isn't stagnant or dead or still. Grow is a word that has movement, that has action, that takes flight, that there's something connected to the word grow. It's different than still or stop or paused. Grow is all about us moving on and moving up. See, it's the thing that God really wants us to do as Christians is to grow. His intention is for us to grow beyond where we are to where he intends us to be. Grow. We're going to use the book of Philippians to talk about this. If you have your Bibles or your device, we turn them over or open to Philippians chapter 1. As we spend time talking about grow, I want to help us to get a grip on who it is that God says that we are so that we can understand that growth happens because we choose to walk in it. Do you realize, can I just get your attention just for one second? Do you realize that you cannot, listen to this, you cannot believe two truths at one time? You can only believe one truth at a time. God's intention was that you believe one truth at a time, not two. In other words, you can't say I'm dumb and then God say you're smart and then you think you're dumb and smart. You either are one or the other. You choose to believe the truth or you, or you don't. You know, it's the, it's the truth that sets us free, right? That's what the Bible says, the truth that sets us free. But I would even go so far as to say this, that it's not even the truth that sets you free. That's not just the truth that sets you free. It's, it's the applied truth that sets you free. Right? It's kind of like saying, uh, you, if you're ever going to jump out of an airplane, you need a parachute. And you would all say, yes, you do. And I would say, that's not true. You don't just need a parachute. Because if, if I jumped out of an airplane with a parachute in my hand, it's not going to do any good for me. You, until you apply that a parachute to your back and pull the cord is when it's only going to help you. Because I could fall all the way to the ground holding that parachute under my arm and not make it. It's as much, right? The truth that you have in your hand or your device or whatever it is you got called the Bible, that truth right there, it's great, it's wonderful, it's awesome, but it will do nothing for you until you apply it to your life. Until you actually say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. There is an enemy that's out to get me and it's not the, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And you begin to walk and, and, and live and, and remind yourself of the truth of Scripture instead of that lie that you've been living in for 20, 30, 70 years. Hmm. Hmm. Paul talks about joy in Philippians. Philippians is an amazing book. 19 times in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions the word joy or some variation thereof. Joy, rejoice, rejoicing, Paul talks about joy over and over again. Paul writes this book of Philippians from prison. He's actually imprisoned in a Roman prison cell as Paul writes this letter to the Philippian people. Now, Philippi was a uh, kind of a suburb, if you will, of Rome. A little suburb loosely because it's 800 miles away. Basically, they would refer to them as little Rome. They actually thought they were a big deal. They thought they were like the center of the universe when all they really knew was Rome was the center of the universe and they wanted Rome to be transferred to Philippi. Paul is in this Roman prison writing to Philippians, writing to Philippi, a church that he and Timothy had started just years before this. As Paul writes this in prison, as Paul is shackled literally between two guards in this imprisonment. Now, it was in an in-house imprisonment. He wasn't shackled in a dungeon like he was later on. 
This was an imprisonment where he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't, uh, he, he couldn't leave the premises, but he had to stay there, chained between guards. How do we know that? Later in the book, Paul says, hey, we greet you, me and all of the palace praetorium or the palace guard. Uh, funny irony is, right? God wanted to reach the, the, the Roman government through the guards. How? By chaining them to Paul for a few years right? And they all had to take their shifts, and God would just keep chaining new ones to them. Next thing you know, the, the palace guard gets radically an opportunity to spend time with Paul. Paul. Paul literally spent five and a half to six years of his entire adult life in jail. What was he doing in jail? Well, he was in jail because he was preaching the gospel, and the religious people didn't like it, right? Neither did the, the non-religious people didn't like it. Paul spent time falsely accused of something wrong in jail, I was saying it's amazing to me because if I were God, that's the last place I would put one of the most effective communicators ever. Like if I was God, I'd be like, last place I'm going to do is put like the greatest apostle of all time literally in jail for six years. Like in, in his prime. He was bound between a couple of guards in his prime. Literally, God said, listen, I have a message for the world and I'm going to bind you up in jail and put you in there. It's amazing, right? It's funny to me because Paul writes this book. This book is also referred to as the book of joy. The book of joy. Paul talks about joy or rejoicing often, like I'd mentioned. Here's my question. Why was Paul writing a book about being joyful or being filled with joy or rejoicing inside prison? We, or the Philippians, should have been writing Paul a letter saying, Hang in there, big fella. You're going to make it. Don't lose heart. Be joyful. He should have been receiving this letter instead of giving it. But there was something about Paul that we must not know. I mean, there's something about Paul that allowed him to be joyful because in the midst of his circumstances, he shouldn't have been. Something about Paul being completely bound in prison gave him the ability to walk in a joy that is beyond understanding. In fact, I would even go so far as to say is that that, that joy that Paul had was literally a byproduct of the maturity he had. In other words, the fruit of Paul's maturity was this thing called joy. The fruit growing off the tree of his life was joy. Hmm. Sounds like the Bible, doesn't it? Fruit of the Spirit shows up joy. See, here's my thoughts today. Some of you are bound today. Some of you are bound in life today. Maybe you're bound in a marriage. You feel like, how did I get into this thing? Maybe you find yourself bound to a job. Maybe you're bound to a parenting plan. Maybe you're bound to what the doctor said about you. Maybe you found yourself, find yourself bound to some debt that you just can't get out from underneath the load of. You feel bound. You just feel like you can't get out. You're shackled, and you're just like, God, if you would just remove these shackles, I would be filled with joy. Yet Paul, in the middle of his crazy boundness, finds the ability to say joy, joyful, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoy. How does Paul do that? What gives him the right? What gives him the ability to walk in joy in the midst of circumstances that, well, as the Bible would say, sucketh? <laughs> it's actually a city in the Bible. Look it up. It stinks, right? There's no way he can walk that thing through. Why is it that it possible? I guess it's just showing us that it's entirely possible for us to not allow our circumstances to determine what it is that our joy will become. To me, it's just this beautiful picture of a message inside the message. 
that whether you're shackled to whatever it is you're shackled to, whatever you're bound to, is not going to mitigate how it is the joy that's supposed to be walked out in your life. Because far too often we allow our feelings and our emotions to determine how much joy we'll walk in. And somehow we mistake joy for happy and happy for joy. Two completely different things because one is completely dependent upon circumstance and one has nothing to do with it. I've seen some of the most joy-filled people walk in the most terrible valleys of life and walking through the most disappointed, horrible, awful scenarios, finding joy in the middle of a storm that none of us would, that none of us would want to invite into our lives. Something about this joy thing. I think joy is the byproduct of spiritual maturity. There's something about how we think in life that determines how we'll walk in joy. I'm pretty convinced that your brain has a lot to do with what it is you'll allow. Because you can, you can talk about truth. You, you, can, you can rub the truth of Scripture all over your arm. But unless you actually begin to think the truth and walk in the truth, it'll never show up in your life. I wrote this down as, as some truths to remember. You cannot change your feelings, but you can change your thoughts. God will change your feelings, but only if you change your thoughts. Only if you change your mind. You can't change your feelings, but you can change your mind. God will change your feelings only if you change your mind, only if you change your thoughts, only if you say, listen, God, okay, 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 I'm going to choose to think it your way. I'm going to choose to walk in it your way. Because the problem is, is that once we start to have a thought that, oh my goodness, I feel terrible, I feel anxious, I feel whatever, and, and then we move on, and, and as if to, to say, okay, I'm just going to try to think happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, and it never seems to work. So how is it that we're supposed to somehow walk through this thing filled with joy? I said this last night, and I... I I want to say it again. Um, I, I need to ask your forgiveness for something. I got to come clean with you about something. I need to ask your forgiveness for the fact that I, um, that I wear contacts. I, I, I have to ask your forgiveness because I try to have faith. I pray for God to heal my eyes. I, I pray for that. And every now and again, because I turned 50 this year in January, I, I know I do. I actually read, wear reading glasses now. I told my eye doctor, I was like, can you fix this? And he goes, you're getting old. Back off. He actually told me this. He said, if Jesus were 50, he'd wear reading glasses. Get over it. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But I have to ask your forgiveness because I actually have to wear glasses or contacts. In fact, if I take my contacts out, sometimes I put my glasses on. And you know what it helps me? You know what it helps me do? It helps me actually see normally. Here's what my contacts don't do, which I wish they did. I wish they gave me like super super duper vision, right? I wish it gave me like x-ray vision or some way to be look beyond, you know, like binoculars or whatever, like somehow the ability to see differently. But unfortunately, my contacts only make me see like normal. It's not like they're giving me a leg up. All they're doing is giving me a leg to zero just so I can see normal. If I took them out, I, you guys would look like a bunch of blurs. But I put them in, you're like very handsome and pretty, right? So, but beyond that, right? I can't, I have to wear them. I have to confess to you, right? Oh, by the way, I also have to confess to you this, is that sometimes I have to take anxiety medication. I just have to confess that to you because sometimes I get anxious and I have to take anxiety medication. Because you guys make me nervous. <laughs> no, I'm just telling you. But somehow we get weird about that part, don't we? We're okay with the glasses and contacts part, but the anxiety medication, there was even a period of time that I had to deal with depression. I had to walk through the depression. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. And you can think yourself all you want to. You can, you can think all the happy thoughts you want to. 
But truth minus Jesus is going to make you a mess. And you also know that sometimes God gives us some really great medical breakthroughs to help us in the process. And if you're on some sort of a medication, can I just tell you, good job. It doesn't make you superhuman. It just makes you super zeroed out. But because you're at zero, now walk in truth. It doesn't take away everything. It just brings you up to normal. And that, it's supposed to. It brings you up to normal. Once you're normal, now walk in truth in Jesus' name. Amen? Be set free. Everybody take a deep, take a deep breath. Ah, good. Philippians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, written to all of God's people in Philippi. We believe Jesus, we believe in, in Christ Jesus and to, who believe in Jesus Christ and to the elders and deacons. Verse 2. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. I make my request with heartfelt joy because you've been, in my, you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you heard about it until now. And I am sure that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is faithfully finished on the day when Jesus comes back again. It's right that I should feel this way about you for you have a very special place in my heart. We have shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. God knows how much I love you and long to be with you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray for your love for each other, that it will overflow more and more, and that we keep growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For, those will, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the soldiers and the palace guard, know that I'm suffering, know, know that I'm here in chains for Christ, because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, many Christians here have gained confidence and become more and more bold about telling others about Christ. Hmm. Romans 12, 2, 12, 1, verse 2 says this, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's something about us applying our brains to some truth that brings about the truth's impact into our lives. How do I know that? Because it's been working in our lives, all of our lives. We listen to somebody say something about us. We believe it. We walk in it. It becomes who we are. Next thing you know, I can't get out of it. You see, there's a pattern, right? The pattern is you were supposed to hear something that was true. You were supposed to say, I think that belongs to me. And then once you say it belongs to you, it becomes part of who you are. The problem is, is more often we hear a lie. We think that belongs to me. We hang on to it and say, that's who I'll always be. As if there's no way out. Right here, as a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs, so shall he be. The problem is, we're reading that passage of Scripture all incorrectly. Literally, what Paul's writing here, in, in, or what the Psalms is writing here, it says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so shall he become. We're almost saying things like this. As you think in your heart and you feel it, you will become that. Literally, it's not saying that. Here's what it's saying. As a man thinks, comma, in his heart, he shall become. Hmm. As you think, you will become. 
I'm an idiot. I'm dumb. I'll never get past this. I'll always be here. I'm just never going to. I'm always going to. I'm never going to. We begin to think it over and over again, and you then become, right? It's funny because athletes know this. You've heard it before, right? I remember when I was in track and I was throwing the shot put and the discus, and I remember thinking over and over again, my coaches would say, um, how, t- how many mental reps are you taking? And I was, I'd be like, mental reps? What do you mean? Literally, I would, sit into, I, would, I would sit down and I would throw the discus in my mind hundreds of times over and over and over and over and over and over. And in doing it, right, I would take mental reps, and lo and behold, I'd get up into the, the, the ring, and oftentimes it would go just like I envisioned it, right? Because as a man thinks, so he shall become. Now, now <laughs> I've never thought of running a marathon, Thank Jesus. Never going to have that thought. I'll rebuke it, right? I'll let, McK- I'll, let, I'll let McKenzie do that. Listen to this. In the Greek or Hebrew, the word think, actually in the Greek, is, uh, I'm going to pronounce it this way because I want to, legizomai. Legizomai. It says legizomai is, is the Greek word for think. And why do I give you the pronunciation today? Legizomai. It literally comes from the word legitimate. Where you get it, right? Legitimate. Legizomai means to count, compute, or calculate fact. Right? Hmm. Paul, or the, the writer of Psalms writes this, as a man thinks, factually, he shall become. I think the problem with us is that we allow lies to become facts so much in our lives that we seem to walk with a limp far too often. We seem to walk with a limp far too often. We bump into all kinds of craziness. Well, I want to help you this morning to learn how to find true joy by not just thinking happy thoughts, not just thinking your way into it, I want to help you apply scripture to your life. I want to help you to look at the scripture and see what what Paul says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, on how to walk in true joy. Are you ready for that? To find true joy in your life, first thing we need to do is we have to realize our thinkers are a little broken, right? Our brains are a little broken because we've been so inundated with um, you're not pretty enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not fast enough, you're not smart enough, you're not whatever enough. And if we watch all the commercials, it just gets reinforced over and over and over and over and over. Right? You need more of this, you need more of that, you need some of this, you need some of that. And next thing you know, we're buying things and, and talking about things, and we don't even know why we're doing those kinds of things. Now, oftentimes, it's because we just see other people doing it, so I guess that's just what we're supposed to do, so we just do it. I think our thinkers are broken, because we've forgotten to see what the Bible says about things that are valuable and things that are important. Right? We're, in the, we're inundated with a world that says, hey, your marriage ain't working, quit and get another one. You know, hey, if your husband's not making it, look over the fence. He's just another fellow's over there. Your job's not working, right? You know what? Just stop and go to another one. Your preacher's not doing the right things. He's not saying the right words. He's not doing the right spiritual jargon that you think it should be happening. Leave and go to another church. Over and over again, because it's just what we're told, right? When the waters get rough, quit. I'm here to tell you this. I'm not so sure that that's true. I think we should really stop and look at what the Bible says about truth. Because if we look at truth, something tells me that what will happen is we'll begin to walk in truth. And when we walk in truth, we're going to experience maturity, which will bring about joy. Joy that's not found in a bottle. Joy that's not found in a pill. Joy that's found because you're walking maturely. Number one, to to find your joy, we need to fix our thinker. Here's the first thing we need to do. Learn how to love well. Learn how to love well, Philippians 1.9. I'm going to read it out of the message translation. Philippians 1.9 says this, So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, and that you will not only love much, but you will love well. Learn to love appropriately. Listen to this. You need to use your head to test your feelings. Give that to your teenage daughter. Verse 10. 
I added that part. So that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live the lover's life, circumspect and exemplary as a life that Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved, the glory and praise of God. I love the word circumspect. We don't really say it very often. The word circumspect means this. It means to carefully consider all circumstances and possible consequences. Carefully consider all circumstances and possible consequences. He says, love like that. Translation, love with your head. Love with your head, right? Here's what love with your head looks like. Love with your head has boundaries to it. We don't talk about boundaries. We just say, I don't feel it anymore, or I feel it a little bit. If we're going to learn how to love well, we have to learn how to love circumspectly. We have to learn how to love with our head. Like, that's appropriate. That's inappropriate. Some of you as parents have had yet to figure that part out because it was a difficult one for us. It was difficult because it's so difficult to have to apply discipline to a child who you think is so cute and so awesome and you want them to like you. And the problem is, the, the problem is, is we don't understand the end of the story. We just see the current moment, right? We need to learn how to love with boundaries. We need to, we need to learn. Can I tell you this? Here's, here's a really appropriate answer from a parent. No. That's really, and by the way, can I tell you that's a really, really appropriate answer from God too? I've heard people say before, I mean, I just heard a pastor just last week say this. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers. I absolutely differ with him because I think God answers every prayer. Every prayer that gets prayed, he answers. But just sometimes he says no. And I hate those ones. I hate when I say, God, would you? And he says no. And I'm like, but you don't get it, God, because I clearly see this is the best option. <laughs> but God just says no, right? And thank God that he's God and I'm not. Because if I play those scenarios out, obviously I get myself in a heap of trouble. Circumspectly, considering all circumstances, right? We need to learn how to love well. We need to learn how to love well. Love when Paul says here in Philippians 1.11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. I love that because it's just crying out for Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's crying out for that moment to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of your salvation. What is the fruit of the Spirit? We've talked about this before. Several months ago, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm supposed to tell you what I've always told you, and I learned something new a few months ago. I thought the fruit of the Spirit was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I I think that's really all cool and all, but what I found was the actual translation in the Greek of the word uh, uh, of the fruit is actually in the singular masculine form. Singular masculine. It's not plural in this regard. So when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is, it's not talking about the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit, like we say fruit, there's a bowl of fruit, which means it can be a bunch of different kind of fruit. It's not that at all. The fruit of the Spirit in Greek was literally singular. He was saying this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, period. Manifesting itself joyfully, faithfully, kindly, gently, patiently. And begins to go on and tell about the aspects of love. I love that because Paul literally saying this, let the fruit of your life, let the fruit of your life just be crazy around people. Here's the cool thing about this. How do you learn how to love well? Here's what I think is important. Learn how to love well. Love with your head, right? And sometimes you're going to say no to somebody, but love with your head. How do you learn how to love patiently and kindly and gently and all of those kinds of leads that show up into the fruit of the Spirit? How do you do that? Here's my take. You love, God will empower your love. You just love where you're supposed to be. You forgive when you're supposed to forgive. You, you have grace when you're supposed to have grace. You show kindness when you're supposed to show kindness. And then God will empower your love. You take a step towards love, and then God makes it supercharged. 
How do I know? That's how God works. Here's what we want to do. Okay, I'm going to be kind and gentle and patient and faithful. And we, we all just go like, you know, we end up with that list of stuff called the fruit of the Spirit, and we go, I give. I can't. But when he tells us one thing, just love, love well, and let him be the one who empowers. Because there's going to be times when he's going to say, hold your tongue, be nice, be faithful, be gentle, and he's going to give you the power to do it. That's the empowering Holy Spirit in the fruit of the Spirit in love. Love well. Number two, we're going to learn how to love well. Number two, keep the end in mind. I love this. Paul writes, and there's, I'm going to read it all right now, but Paul writes in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. I'm just going to tell you what it says. At this time, while Paul was in prison, there were a bunch of people preaching in Philippi. They were preaching, some of them by good motives and some not motives that were good. Some of them were kind of happy Paul was in prison because they're like, hey, man, the big dog's in prison. Maybe we can step up and be the big dog. And, and Paul literally says here in these, these last couple of verses, he says, quite frankly, I don't care. As long as Christ is being preached, because at the end of the day, God's going to figure it out. Who comes up with something like that? I don't know, maybe somebody who's bound and can't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> See, maybe that's our problem, is we actually think we can do something about it. Paul was probably the greatest orator, one of the greatest orators who could have lived. Probably one of the best debaters around. Paul literally could have debated any one of these crazy preachers off of their, on to their knees but Paul, bound, he can't do anything. And here's what Paul says, I don't care. It's not my problem. Because at the end of this deal, God wins, the devil loses. I think sometimes we forget when we're learning how to walk in joy, we actually think that we're gonna make the big fat difference. That somehow what we say has got to be said because if you don't understand what I have to say, we go nuts. And he's just like, stop it, man. You, you, you stop it. You can't fix everything. You can't solve every problem. So you learn how to love well. You learn how to keep the end in mind. The end in mind simply says God at the end of the thing is still on the throne. I can't solve all the problems. I often think back now about somebody who's living, my, my wife and I are living an empty nester's life right now, right? Kids are gone. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, we actually have money. It's awesome. But nevertheless, I, 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 but it's sad and it's lonely, man. I love them. It's crazy. But I can tell you this. When I look back on my kids being at home, I can't tell you how ashamed I am at how, how, how dumb of fights I would have with them. I mean, I would fight for socks in the living room floor. Like it was going to, if they don't pick up their socks, they'll never pay their mortgage payment. You know, if, if they don't put the can in the garbage, they'll never love their wife. You know, it's like I, I'm like, I, the dumbest things, man. I was fighting for pieces of ground that didn't matter. I just wish at some point I could have just said like, <laughs> your wife will tell you how wrong you were, not me. <laughs> your husband's going to fix that one. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> Sorry. Think of the end in mind, right? Number three. That just came right out, didn't it? <laughs> how do I know that? I've been married 27 years. Number three. Live like you belong in heaven. Live like you belong in heaven. Philippians 1.27 says this, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain, or, or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, and you are striving with one mind together for the faith of the gospel, in no way by your opponents, which is a sign of their destruction for them. But your salvation is for you, and that too is from God. 
For, you, for it has been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict with which you saw in me. And now you're here in me. Paul writes this and he says, live as citizens of heaven. I think it's interesting because this was a group of people in Philippi who, who were, had wrapped their national identity around Rome living 800 miles away. They would literally say, we are Roman citizens, when everyone would know, well, you clearly you are Roman citizens, but you're like 800 miles away. You're not in Rome. You're like in Philippi. And they hated that because they wanted to be known as Roman citizens. Paul literally he speaks right to their, their core, and he says, all right, you really want to know the truth? Live as a citizen of heaven. Translation, act like you belong to Jesus. Carry on like you belong to Jesus. Live like you don't belong here. Live like this isn't the end of it all. And what happens when you begin to live like that? You stop losing your mind about the guy that cuts you off on the freeway. You, 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 stop, you stop saying to yourself, like, oh, I'll teach her a lesson and honk next time I pull up next to her. I'll teach, I'll teach him a lesson. And somehow we get in the lesson teaching mode and we pop off and say things we shouldn't say. See, when you're a citizen of heaven, you'd never, hope you don't do that in heaven. Hope you don't honk at someone in heaven. Hope you don't say, get out of my way in heaven. They got to believe there's going to be something up there that's a little different. Like maybe righteousness, peace, and joy. See, Paul lived a life being bound in chains, a life filled with joy. Because Paul knew how to get his head on straight by believing the truth and walking in the truth. Not being bound by the chains of this world. Some of you have been bound by the chains of this world. And it's time today that you take the chains off because no one else can. We could pray them off you. We could cast them off you. But can I just tell you this? It's really up to you. It's really up to you to put the chains of lies down and take up the truth of freedom. So I want to pray for you this morning. Can we do that? Jesus, this morning we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for a great, a great word this morning about finding peace and joy. Lord, that it's not in a government. It's not in a bunch of really good, happy thoughts. Lord, our true peace is found only in you. I pray this morning that those who are listening to us, either here or online, who found themselves bound, bound in a marriage that they feel like they can't get out of, bound in a job they feel like they can't shake because they signed that contract, bound in a, a, a friendship that they're in, bound in a diagnosis from a doctor, or bound under a load of debt, still bound. I pray this morning that you would help us to learn how to walk in joy because we learn how to love well, because we learn how to keep the end in mind and because we learn how to live as citizens of heaven. Help us this morning to walk that out. In Jesus' name.